I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Sometimes we all need a carrot that's dangling right in front of our noses to help get us out that door on a consistent basis and reach some of our goals. And so I want to dangle a little carrot in front of you here today, and I want you to put this on your calendar and join me. I am so <laughs> over-the-top excited to invite you all to join Team Plan Strong. It is our new national movement to celebrate how the benefits of a whole food, plant-strong lifestyle can keep us active and allow us to move our bodies and feel utterly fantastic. I want to invite you to train with the team and complete your choice of either a 5K, a half marathon, or even a full marathon. You take your pick of the litter. Now, our first event is going to take place here in Austin, Texas on February 19th, and you're all invited to come and finish the race in my hometown of Eclectic Iconic and the capital of Texas, Austin. But hey, I completely understand if you can't make the trip, you can still complete the goal virtually and earn a medal from this iconic first event. We'll also send you our Team Plan Strong racing shirt, and you'll get access to our training plans, coaches, and everything that's inside our private community. If you've never run before, hey, no sweat. You just get over here. Walkers, you're absolutely welcome. Beginners are more than welcome. And season runners, absolutely, we would love for you to partake as we all work together towards this common goal. I can't wait to meet all of you. Come on now. Join Team Plan Strong at planstrongfoods.com slash team. In my mind, the only superfood there is, well, the only superfoods there are are beans and greens, you know, maybe turmeric a little bit, uh, cruciferous vegetables, nuts. These are the things we know have fueled real people uh, into their hundreds around the world. And um, so don't be duped. And, and by the way, you, uh, you can be pretty sure if you're paying a lot for a food, somebody's got their hand in your pocket. Uh, <laughs> anybody who's checked the price of dried beans lately knows that any American can afford them. Pound of uh, black beans or black eyed peas or lentils will set you back less than $3 and they'll feed a half a dozen people a nutritious. But the secret, and this is why, this is where the Blue Zones American Kitchen comes in. The most important ingredient is taste. Mm. Americans as a rule do not how to know how to make beans taste good. And uh, this work I, I think does a good job at bringing beans uh, alive and and uh, really kind of overtaking their 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 meat counterparts when it comes to protein and uh, making things taste flavorful yeah. and delicious. 
I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plan Strong podcast. The mission at Plan Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Mr. Blue Zones is back. That's right. My friend Dan Butner is he's back on the Plan Strong podcast for his third time to discuss his newest book, The Blue Zones American Kitchen, 100 Recipes to Live to 100. As most of you likely know, Dan and his extensive work with National Geographic uncovered the five places around the world where people consistently live past 100 years of age. In fact, it isn't the exception, it is the norm. Only one of those blue zones happens to be in the United States, and that's in Loma Linda, California. But did you realize that traditional American food, our, our roots and heritage, are firmly planted in a rich abundance of plant-based nutrition? Think about that. Our indigenous and Native American brothers and sisters thrived on grains and seeds and beans, and the immigrants brought with them potatoes, pasta, mesa corn, and more beans, really beautifully nutritious food. Well, that's what Dan Buechner uncovers in his latest book. He took a very tasty tour around the United States and worked with contemporary chefs to create some of these traditional dishes. And today, I go through several of these recipes with Dan and allow him to to riff on his memories and stories of these chefs and meals that have shaped the diverse people that we are today. I know that we think of American cuisine as hot dogs, hamburgers, and apple pie, but our history is radically more diverse, nutritious, and dare I say, plant strong. So let's hit the road with Dan Butner and learn more about the Blue Zones American Kitchen. Dan Butner, thanks so much for coming back on uh, the Plant Strong podcast. Love having you on the show. You know, Dan, this is your third time joining us on the podcast. You, uh, you joined us in 2020. It was episode 39. We talked all about the Blue Zones. You came back for episode 122. It was the Blue Zones Challenge, which was uh, another book that you wrote. I mean, I can't believe how you're pumping out like killer book after killer book. And you just came out with this butte called the Blue Zones American Kitchen that I just want to like tackle with you. It's spectacular. I have gone through it from end to end. And Dan, first of all, how in the world did you come up with such an absolutely brilliant idea? Well, it was iterative. Well, thanks for calling it brilliant. But, you know, I've, we identified pretty clearly the, the dietary pattern of the world's longest lived people in the previous Blue Zones books. Um, but I wanted to do an American focused book. And, you know, I tried to find cultures of longevity living today. And except for the Seventh day Adventists, it's, that's a challenge. So I actually gave the food guidelines to an NYU researcher. He spent 150 hours. Is that James Mellon? Uh, what's that? Yes, yes. Okay. Do you know him? I read your yeah. acknowledgement, so I all know. I know all about how your first call was to Jeff Gordier with Esquire and a blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, but you know, con- concurrently though, you know, working for National Geographic, you you actually the. The facts are most important. The, the evidence is most important. So we wanted to find subcultures of America who were eating a Blue Zones diet. And we found them uh, among these ethnic Americans and immigrants 
living about 100 years ago. But we have the evidence to show that they were eating a Blue Zones diet. So the idea of this book was capturing America's lost diet of longevity. And it seems to be hitting a nerve. Oh, big time. So before we dive into that, just for people that are new to the podcast and, and maybe want to know a little bit more about you and your work, Dan, can you like give us a, a quick summary of the Blue Zone cultures and why they are the longest living cultures on the planet? Sure. So the, the idea of Blue Zones was instead of trying to look for a secret to longevity in test tubes or in Petri dishes, uh, we sought out to reverse engineer longevity by finding demographically confirmed areas around the world where people are living measurably longest. And to do that, we engaged demographers who look at birth records and death records and make sure people are really as old as they say they are. We looked at worldwide uh, census data to start out. We found these five, uh, you know, I dubbed them blue zones in, in Okinawa, Sardinia, Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, uh, the uh, Greek island of Ikaria or Ikaria, and then among the Seventh-day Adventists. But then our approach to delivering blue zones was to find the common denominators. And remarkably, no matter where you go in the world and you find long-lived people, uh, they're doing the same things over and over. About nine common denominators in all blue zones. And that really forms the foundation of our work. Mm -hmm. Got it. And so when you got this idea to go back and look at, uh, you know, the different ethnicities in American history that ate, you know, the blue zones way, you got what you got into a sprinter van with your, your, your buddy, David McLean, like the most incredible photographer in the world. And you guys set out, I mean, where was my call? Why wasn't I invited on this road trip? <laughs> that was my oversight reps. <laughs> well, it was a pandemic and a lot of people weren't available. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, my, I mean, my way of exploration is I, I don't, I don't sit in a library. I, I go out into the world. And once we identified um, the, these cultures of longevity, then uh, Jeff Gordonier, uh, formerly of the New York Times, and I had a great producer named Karen Foley, and uh, they went out and they, they identified sh uh, chefs who cook these, her these uh, uh, heritage res uh, uh, recipes, uh, historian chefs who could bring this way of eating to life again. And uh, you're right. We got in sprinter vans. We traveled from Maine to Miami, up to Minnesota, down to Texas, Oklahoma, Los Angeles, even got all the way over to Hawaii. Uh, to find these amazing chefs. We found 53 chefs. And between them, we found 100 recipes to live. Uh, we actually found about 300. But um, in culling through, because I, I have an obsession or uh, maniacal focus on deliciousness, uh, <laughs> but we distilled 300 to 100, uh, the most delicious recipes, all 100% whole food plant-based, and uh, all of them that map directly to the diet of longevity we found around the world. Well, and what also, you know, was really interesting to me is that the data that you were able to collect from 1880 to roughly the 1930s showed really definitively that the Mexican-Americans, uh, Asian-Americans, that their diets were like 84 and 88 percent plant based, respectively, which to me, I, I never would have imagined that. I mean, and did, did you know that going into this did you, or you just like, were, were you hopeful? No, no I was hopeful. And also I find by, by, by the, you know, African-Americans, they're often associated with soul food, which, you know, today it's really bad usually. But you trace the roots back to the Gullah Geechee, for example, or, or you know, what, what uh, you know, enslaved people were eating. It was actually kind of a blue zone dinner, very heavy and uh, uh, beans and greens and nuts and grains. And meat was used very sparingly as a condiment usually. And our Native Americans, you know, I know they're kind of famous for being hunters, but really, you know, as most tribes, they depended largely on corn, beans and squash and the, and the root vegetables and nuts and fruits they could gather. Um, so Native Americans, until we came along and, uh, you know, sort of corrupted their culture, they were eating a very healthy diet. And I, I don't think most Americans realize that. Yeah. 
Well, and you, you, you've broken the book up into really five different sections, right? So the first section is the indigenous native and early Americans. And then you have all these like incredible recipes. And I'm going to show uh, everyone some, some of these uh, photos. If you can see, if you're watching um, from YouTube and then you have African-American then you have Latin American, Asian American, and then you have regional and contemporary uh, American. And it's just, it's, it's Dan, I, it is such a, well, it's such a fun read. The recipes, like you said, are, you mean, you've got a, you've got a palate that just, you know, accepts nothing less than a hundred percent deliciousness. But it, I mean, I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, all right, I want to be on Dan's shoulder like doing this research, going from place to place. I mean, is this what you, like you said, you know, you don't like going to the library. You like getting out there. But I mean, how much did this adventure and writing this book just like resonate with your soul? Was it a, like a, just an absolutely fun uh, two years, years for you? You know, people who know their sense of purpose and live it and, and live about eight years longer than people are rudderless. Uh, about 30 years, I got really clear on my personal purpose. And my purpose is to go out in, into the world, explore traditional cultures and bring back their wisdom. And that's underpinned the 21 expeditions I've led, the, the uh, 10 or so books I've written. They, they, they're all based on that same principle. So uh, I, I've been one of the lucky ones who whose job is living their purpose. And uh, there's a very blurry line between you know, what I consider vacation and what I consider work. So they're, they're one of the same. So I'm very blessed to, you know, I can argue I've never worked a day in my life. I could also argue I work all the time, but I usually, I usually prefer the former. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it, it it's a testament that you've been able to carve out this, this life that is exciting and adventurous for you. And, you know, you're just, you're doing such great work and, uh, and giving back so much. And, like when we had dinner that one night uh, at, at, at John's house, I mean, you know, I mean, even even a guy like Matthew McConaughey is like, I want to be Dan Buettner. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, 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 I change places with him once in a while. But, uh, <laughs> so so Dan, Dan, I want I don't know how much I know. I know your dad, Roger, has tried every recipe in the book. I don't know if you have. This right here is the 1920s Plymouth Succotash. And I'm telling you. You mean 1620. Is it What did I say? 1920s? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to do too much at once here. You're right. 16, 1620s. And, and everything about that just speaks my language from that rustic pot to that spoon that's in there to the, the, the greens and everything. I mean, mm. you want to know something interesting about that pot? You know, in, in next week, Americans will sit down uh, to a, cruci a, a a bird that lived a horrible life that's full of hormones and its own feces and saturated fat, and they'll celebrate around that. But what we found is that the original Thanksgiving probably did not even include turkey. Um, uh, we, we know it didn't include ingredients from Europe because the pilgrims, their stores had been exhausted. So they were eating what the Native Americans were eating. So we went and found what the Native Americans, that pot of food you just showed was probably at the first Thanksgiving. Uh, it's three main, four main ingredients, uh, beans and squash and corn, a hominy they call it, and then some greens, but then a beautiful broth, uh, which is far healthier, uh, uh, heartwarming, delicious, and, uh, you know, historically much more accurate than the the dinner will sit down to, uh, well, I guess it's a week from today. Yeah, hundred percent. What what Dan exactly is a succotash? Is it like a a, a hearty chili or stew? Stew. It's a stew. It's a stew. Uh, it's um, it's actually a corruption of the uh, Wampanoag word, which is much harder to uh, to uh, pronounce, but it looks a lot like succotash. And you know, we this people continue to eat succotash and the southern southeast of the United States. And, and that's a gift that the Native Americans have given us. And um, they gifted us not only delicious food, but as you know, I believe I uh, unpack with some confidence that it's also a longevity food. Uh, 
we've forgotten it. We've forgotten this way of eating. And in the book, you, you mentioned the, and I might be butchering the pronunciation, the Wampanoag, but were some of the, I guess the, the Indians that basically saved the, uh, what, about half of the pilgrims that came over uh, and landed at Plymouth Rock. Uh, you talked about how that, I think it was that first Thanksgiving was more of a, a, tr a, a exchanging of ideas uh, as opposed to like helping or, or, or as opposed to a feast. Yeah, there's uh, some evidence to show that lasted about three days, not just one meal. The historical record, very, it's very brief, but it shows there was food there. And um, but, the, the, you know, they don't mention pumpkin pie or stuffing or uh, right. e even turkeys, really. Um, so, um, you know, our approach was to act, find a Wampanoag Native American who cooks their traditional way. We found Carolyn Lynn and um, she, Carolyn Wayne, I'm sorry. And then uh, Paula Marco, who is a anthropologist, food anthropologist, historian, uh, you know, who studies this and together kind of a modern day pilgrim and a, and a modern day Wampanoag, they collaborated on recreating a, a, a likely dinner eaten in uh, 1620 for the book. And National Geographic photographer David McLean took the pictures. You know, I took the notes and uh, captured the recipes and, and they're in this book. So you want to get ready for next next uh, Thanksgiving or um, or even your Christmas meal? Uh, you can you can do a real pilgrim meal uh, on that section of the book from that section of the book. So I think I read that you were there. Sixty five different chefs that you got to meet on this journey that you went on to write the book. Thereabouts. That's that's phenomenal, and I I, I would imagine that. You, you probably got to try more incredible food. <laughs> it's whole food, plant-based. There's no meat in there. There's no very little refined sugar, if any. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to get overweight if you're eating a whole food, plant-based diet. Um, but so the, the most important ingredient in any longevity diet is taste. Because uh, if you're not doing it for a long time, it doesn't, it doesn't impact your life expectancy at all. So for me to tell you that fermented tofu or fermented sesame seeds, benny seeds, or, or uh, succotash is good for you, uh, yeah. if you don't like it, you're not going to eat it. So that's why I was absolutely maniacal about making sure, picking only the recipes that taste good. My, my father, 87-year-old meat and potato, born on a farm, uh, Roger Butner, he, I, I take him along. Not only because I enjoy his company, but because he tastes every meal. And if he gives it the thumbs down, it doesn't end up in the book. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a hard time with him in Okinawa, for example, because he didn't like anything. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, here it was a lot easier for him to uh, like these recipes. And uh, because in many cases, they represent hundreds or even thousands of years of culinary trial and error before they get... Uh, something people like. So did your dad go with you, like, for example, over to Hawaii? Or was that just you and David McClendon? No, my dad was with me in Hawaii. Oh, that's incredible. So yeah. so if your dad was over with was with you over in Hawaii, he also got to meet Chef uh, Stefan Ruel, if I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, yeah. Will you Great tell dad. us about, about Stephen or Stefan and uh, his, like, incredible health transformation? Yes. Yeah, so he was vastly overweight, uh, having um, cardiovascular issues. I think uh, he stepped out of his truck one night. He's working hard and collapsed. And that was the wake up call. And, uh, you know, anybody who uh, does the homework and looks at responsible sources will find that when you're suffering from one of these avoidable chronic diseases, the best path back to health is eating a whole food plant-based, a vegan diet, as it, in the case of Stephen. And uh, uh, he wasn't finding it on his own, so he went to chef school and learned how to make it and became a fabulous chef. He, he uh, opened one of the most successful restaurants in um, Kona on the big island of Hawaii. You know, he's probably the best plant-based restaurant on the on the island and and he was kind enough to share with me 
three or four of his favorite recipes. And um, these, these came out of uh, a, a desire to heal. And now he's a healthy guy. So, you know, I've, I've been over to Kona probably 15 times. Um, and I've never, what's the name of the restaurant? I'd love to go to it the next time I'm there. Can you remember? Under the Bodai tree. Okay. I, I might be butchering the name of it, uh, under the Bodai, uh, but yeah. yeah. I also, what I also love about the recipes that are in this book is how some of them are just drop dead simple. And like this, for example, this smoky, right? Smoky collard greens. I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan, Dan, and we love, uh, people eating their, you know, four to five servings of greens a day. And um, these just look absolutely insane. And this is under the native, oh. native American section. Okay. Uh, page yeah. 90, page, yeah, yeah, page 93. Um, now here's one. You're right. I'm sorry, Africa. So on page 97, what, what I also love doing is reading every um, story that accompanies the recipes. I find them to be fascinating. And you have the last meal and this is sweet potato and black eyed pea soup. Do you, can you remember the story behind this one? Yes, it was a, it, it was a Senegalese chef who worked in a Michelin starred restaurant in New York, but he went back to Senegal uh, to, to trace his roots. And he discovered a few things. He discovered that, uh, before these African uh, young men would be shipped to America where they became slaves, uh, they had to weigh at least 150 pounds. And if they didn't weigh 150 pounds, they, they wouldn't survive the crossing. So they were fattened up like cattle. And the food that was used was a black-eyed pea and palm oil kind of slurry, very high, laden in calories. And they'd eat that for a few weeks, fatten them up. And this Michelin... Uh, starred level chef, he took that recipe and he applied these culinary excellence to it. And he had like artesian palm oil and he had the best black eyed peas and wonderful herbs. And he, he blended ingredients and he finished it with edible flowers. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece. And of course, now the irony is he lives in New Orleans and, and he serves it to largely white people for a hundred dollars a plate. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, he takes some satisfaction in that he turned this, you know, horrible uh, ne negative and he's turned it into a positive with the same sort of ethnicities involved in the original uh, transactions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the way he turned that around on page 113, Dan, you've got Buffalo cauliflower tacos. That's yeah. from Pets, uh, Philadelphia. Exactly. A wonderful Puerto Rican uh, entrepreneur, Nicole. Yeah. Uh, Bar Barbamba, something like that. Yeah, that's right. I'm at an age I can hide my own Easter egg. So even though I wrote that, I don't remember every last name. Uh, no. Rich Lando. Yeah, here she is. Yeah, yeah. Nicole Marquis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's a fantastic uh, female business owner, owns several hot bars. And uh, she, you know, she knows how to make food palatable to Americans, whether they're plant-based or, um, uh, or, or they're, you know, lo love eating meat. You know, the other, the other brilliant guy in restaurant right down the street is Rich Lando. He has a, uh, uh, a restaurant, a phenomenal restaurant called Veg. And, you know, he taught me, a lot of people don't like tofu, but he taught me how to make a tofu steak yeah. That tastes exactly like meat. The secret is you cut it at a one inch filet, you freeze it first, and then you get a, an oil that can handle a lot of heat. So like a grapeseed oil or avocado, grapeseed, I believe is what he used. You first dredge it in this sort of Montreal, they call it a Montreal um, rub which is a number of spices you can Google on the internet pretty easily, or you can get my book, but you dredge it in the Montreal spices and then you flash uh, fry it on one side. So it gets kind of a, a, a thick, you know, almost meaty crust yeah. uh, you flash fry it on the other side and the middle kind of stays tender. And boy, I'll tell you what, the, you, you, you put that on a plate, like a piece of steak, you know, with your baked potato and your, and your, uh, um, 
broccoli and you you have no idea that you're not eating a slab of dead animal <laughs> slab it's so true dan it's so true and i gotta tell you that i've been to veg twice when i was in philadelphia and um it is quite an experience it it, it really is yeah. Well, he was he was one of the pioneers. He's been around for twenty five years. By the way, Nicole is uh, uh, looks to Rich as uh, her mentor, yeah. and uh, um, it, there's a, a whole half a dozen uh, restaurants in Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia is really the the birthplace of vegetarianism uh, in America uh, in the mid nineteen uh, mid nineteenth century. Um, ap, uh, the Abel Abolition movement, the um, uh, women's suffrage union uh, movement, and also the the temperance movement and vegetarian all grew out of the same sort of mindset um, because Philadelphia was this opening, uh, uh, accepting place in the 19th century. The graham cracker yeah. was uh, part of the whole vegetarian movement. Uh, I think his name was Robert Graham who invented it. Is delicious, by the way, and it's not all that unhealthy. It's made mostly with molasses and whole grain flowers, and uh, yeah. you know, really well, pretty healthy food. A couple of comments on Philadelphia before we leave Philadelphia and move on. Um, I also thought it was really interesting the way you mentioned that of all the the people that we could ever imagine, Ben Franklin introduced tofu to the colonies. I mean, how crazy was that? That's right. He <laughs> called it soy cheese. <laughs> right. And then, Dan, um, the other thing you mentioned that Rich taught you to make that tofu like taste like steak is you freeze it. It like opens up the cells. And now when you marinate it with whatever it is you marinate it with, it really tends to get in there really, really nicely. Um, all right, Dan, I I'm sorry, but I just got to go through some of these recipes. So this morning, there's a, a little restaurant right near my house. And I always go there in the morning like twice a week, and I get these black bean, potato, and cactus tacos, breakfast tacos. Oh, oh. And on page 119, you've got the almost same thing. You've got black bean and nopalitas, right? Tostados. Yes. And that's Chef Juan Rodriguez in Fort Worth. Yeah, he's an amazing guy, but he was part of our Blue Zone project in Fort Worth. Uh, um, introducing plant-based eating to Cowtown with, with great success. His business took off because of Blue Zone Project. And, and this is once again, a, you know, a, a, the, the cactus panels are a little hard to get. You know, most of the recipes, 80% of them are very simple and very easy to get ingredients. But the point here is illustrating that there are all these uh, plant fleshes that taste uh, like meat, when you put the same marinade, marinade to them, you know, the, the secret is taking the same sort of uh, flavors and applying it to the right kind of plant flesh, you get something that tastes like meat. And it doesn't have to be these, you know, these beyond meats or impossible meats, which have questionable health benefits. Um, so, so much culinary genius locked up in the ethnicities of America. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I'm going to move on now to page 124. And this just caught caught my attention because, well, A, um, I am a huge fan of beans, and it's called frijoles barachos, drunken beans. And uh -huh. the, second, the second ingredient, Dan, is a cup of dark beer. I mean, did Roger Butner like these? Ro Roger Butner just drank the beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, they made it in the book, so he must have loved them. <laughs> no, no. So th this, once again, this is seven ingredients. And, you know, it, it's the genius. Like, who thinks of adding beer uh, to, to, um, uh, to beans? And then the, the symphony that you create when you put some of this uh, diced serrano chili and tomatoes, which people don't realize this, but tomato adds a umami flavor to food. Yeah. And um, it's so simple. Uh, the whole thing comes together in 20 minutes. Uh, the whole thing is cheap. Uh, you can serve it to anybody, you know, any fancy people in the world, and they're going to love it. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a, a recipe that will help you live to 100. Yeah, yeah. And, Dan, speaking of, like, living to 100, your first sentence of this book is pretty darn powerful. And I'm going to read it to you, and then I want you to, you know, uh, riff on it for a sec. And you say, this book could help you live an extra 10 years. Yes, and that isn't just hyperbole. So earlier this year in February, uh, a group of academics out of the Netherlands uh, did a meta-analysis. So they, they aggregated many studies that followed many hundreds of thousands of people for, for, for decades. And they found that the people who ate mostly a whole food plant-based diet, they allowed a very little meat, but a huge deviation from the standard American diet. Uh, for uh, women, they were living 10 years longer. And for men, they were getting an extra 13 years of life expectancy. So it's not at all an empty promise. And by the way, I know that, you know, most Americans, 97% of Americans are eating animal products. And that's okay. I mean, you know, we're not here to wag our finger at you and tell you what to eat and what not to eat. But I just wanted the Blue Zone Kitchen here, this book, to be a safe space, a place where uh, you can turn off your brain, cook any recipe in this book, and be pretty sure that for you and your family, you're doing them a big favor. Uh, um, you, you are doing what research shows. Uh, the longest lived people on the planet ate this exact same pattern. Uh, these are real human beings that lived real lives. It's not theoretical. It's not test tube. It's not Petri dish. Um, we know this to be true. And this is one thing uh, uh, Rip and I, I think, agree violently on. Uh, Rip, <laughs> Rip uh, arrived at the same way of eating via a very different path, more of an academic path, I would say, um, uh, with his father and I guess his whole family, but um, you know we've 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 arrived at what I like to think at the top of the culinary mountain and just took slightly different paths. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Dan. I'm going to keep going through the book here. All right, page 127. We got Mama's zucchini zucchini papusas, and um, this like mother and daughter duo chef combination from Salvador. They got inspired after watching Forks Over Knives documentary. Our good friend Brian Wendell, he's transformed so many lives with that documentary. And, you know, ironically, uh, Claudia and her mom, uh, they, they live in perhaps uh, one of the most difficult neighborhoods in downtown Los Angeles, homeless people across the street. But they, they've really created this oasis of Latino uh, uh, vegan food. Um, and the people who come there, they're not a bunch of rich shishi people, you know, who uh, can afford to drop a hundred dollars a meal at a lot of other LA vegan places. Uh, they, they're mostly poor people coming in there, and they're mm -hmm. getting their Salvadoran favorites like pupusas and and uh, beans and tortillas and uh, uh, sufritos. These it's a meat analogs made out of soy, um, and they're eating the food they love. And uh, they, they don't even quite realize, I don't think, that uh, these are uh, foods that are adding years as opposed to taking years off of their lives. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I'm going to page 135, if you can follow me there. And uh, I'm looking at plant-powered arepa that I want to make this weekend with my family because I am so enthralled with not only the thickness of this, like... <laughs> corn tortilla but also the fact that i could slice it open and then stuff anything in there and the fact that yeah. it's green it's green because of the spinach yeah. this is thanks to the genius of uh, diego tosini and his wife uh, veronica uh, they own the hottest restaurant in uh, los angeles and, and soon to be part of uh, john mackey's uh, new health empire the love life cafes these uh, arepas is is really kind of a a Venezuelan uh, a take on a tortilla. As you point out, it's basically a, a thick uh, tortilla and it, it may in intimidate some people, but you know, you can go to a Trader Joe's and get what they call masa, um, you know, basically uh, corn mass uh, prepared already. And all you do is pat it down uh, into a patty and you, you, you're on the heat it up. Um, you know, they fry it a little bit, but 
but Diego's added to it by putting uh, ground spinach and chlorophyll in it to make it green and it makes it even, you know, sort of supercharges with health and you sort of cut it open like a pita bread and you have this wonderful pocket to stuff uh, amazing things in it and, and uh, delight your friends. Yeah, I, I can't wait to delight my family with it this weekend. They're going to be so enamored with it. All right, Dan, let's move on to page 176. All right. So one of the things that we also do every Sunday at our house is we, I make pancakes for, for the family. And these, they're called you, you, <laughs> Udapam, I think. They're savory lentil pancakes. I mean, come on. I cannot wait to dig in and try these. And look at this guy here making them on the griddle here. These lentil pancakes. Who knew? I never even thought of lentil pancakes before. So these are, this is the Vikhu family. They're owners of this super popular Saffron Nola restaurant. And, um, you know, they're so packed that I couldn't believe they agreed. Uh, they, yeah. Their whole family gathered uh, for David McLean and I and, and made this largely Indian feast. And, you know, it's really the poorest parts of the world that have given us the most genius food. You know, it's, it's not hard to take a slab of meat and throw fried in oil and make it taste good. I mean, that napalms our taste bud. It takes culinary genius to take things like lentil beans and chickpeas and make them taste good. Uh, but, you know, you add some um, uh, fragrant spices and some, once again, tomatoes and cilantro and some chilies and some coconut uh, chutney as, as things you can easily get a hold of and combining them in the right way. And, and you convert very inexpensive food into absolute magic. So over the course of your you know year or two writing this book and getting the, I can't even imagine the opportunities you had to sit down with these chefs and their families and, you know, at their restaurants or at their homes. Did you have one experience that just sticks out more than any other? Or is that an unfair question for me to ask you? No, it's not unfair. But I'll just rant a few that just come to mind immediately. Don Madrano. Uh, here's a guy who worked in uh, worked in raising money for arts until he was about 60 and became a chef. Went to um, uh, Cordon Bleu or one of these high-end chef school. And they were teaching him how to how to make Mexican food. Well, it turns out he was Mexican. He was Tex-Mex and he grew up eating real Mexican. And, you know, we tend to think of Tex-Mex food as, you know, steak fajitas or cheese slathered enchiladas. But he remembered from his childhood in uh, San Antonio that actually the Mexican foods they were eating were using things like amaranth and pecans and mm. mole and corn tortilla and uh, these uh, this... Uh, vegetable that comes from cactuses and he set out to set the the uh record straight and he brought back the true texas mexican food and lo and behold once again mostly plant-based okay tell me tell me this because in reading this particular story about this individual i wanted to be there sitting on this these slabs of boulders with you guys and that was james wayman and his fire beast in, in a New England farm where he like roast, roasted all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Once, James Wayman's a, a, a Michelin star level chef. He has several uh, uh, restaurants in Connecticut. He's a celebrated chef. And um, he, we asked him if he could help show us some of these simple plant-based. His specialty is just cooking over open fire. And we were absolutely blown away. He would take a, uh, a candy squash, but it could be a, any kind of squash. He started a big fire, let it burn down to coals. And he just threw it in there, threw it in the coals, let it turn it over a few times. The outside was charred completely like into trash, but then he pulled it out, busted it open. And here's this beautiful golden custard, like, like flesh that is, is a meal right there. It, it didn't even take a pot and pan. He did another amazing thing. He took a, uh, I, we have the recipe for it, uh, mixing miso with sesame seeds and a few other things, some oil and some garlic. Uh, he created kind of a, a paste 
and he took beautiful tomatoes. He cut them in half. And uh, then uh, he put this sort of miso sesame paste uh, over the top. And then he placed it on a rock in the fire and let it sit there until the skin blistered and the top started bubbling. And then he just pulled it out. And the, it was a umami, a tsunami of umami, I call it. It's <laughs> flavor. Uh, There's but delicious, and, and uh, there he is. There's James Wayman. He and I, by the way, we're doing a, a live event in, in his uh, city, Stony Brook, I believe, uh, um, in Connecticut on uh, uh, December 8th. And um, I'm going back there to kind of unleash the Blue Zone, the Blue Zone um, uh, diet, the Blue Zone American kitchen. People show up. One of the things that I'm, I, I, I'm seeing in this book and I'm seeing it is like whole cauliflowers that are that are roasted that are cooked with an incredible sauce there's one in particular i just saw and i'm trying to find it right now um i probably won't be able to find it but so let me ask you this question so uh i'm going right now through uh dan some of the uh regional and contemporary americans that you visited that i just was fascinated with so for example blake lofton chris debar and mel Bra uh, braden yeah, who, who you talk about, you visited in New Orleans and how they were able to take these Cajun recipes from 100 year old cookbooks. Um, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Yes. So we, you know, the premise of the book was we we're trying to recreate the, the diet from 100 years ago. And um, these guys are modern day chefs with gourmet restaurants, but they they agreed to to um, we, we you know, we we got a, um, a Airbnb, big Airbnb with a huge kitchen. And we sat in there for two days and all we did was cook and the photographer shot. And, and Chris and his his gang reproduced these uh, from an ancient uh, cookbook and reproduced them for us. Um, that was a little different take and what we do for most of most of the times the other chef had been cooking these ways, but he did a fantastic job. I can't remember it made it in the book, but you know, he like he made a lettuce soup. Yeah. The one recipe of his that you have in the book that uh, I'm like, I can't wait to try it. You got a, he's got a black eyed pea and peanut butter hummus. Yeah. yeah. Who thinks of putting black eyed peas and peanut butter together? It's brilliant. Dan, what's your take on, on, on mushrooms? Are you a fan of mushrooms? And the reason I ask is because I know you met Cameron Clements in central Texas where there were some tumbleweeds rolling around. And you said that this guy or, or gal, I don't know if Cameron's a guy or gal. She's a single mom about 30 years. Uh, you, you should, uh, uh, on Instagram, she's the plant-based Cajun chef or plant-based Cajun. She's a genius. So she was able to take mushrooms and marinate them in a certain way. And when added to an etouffee, yeah. uh, they taste exactly like a crawfish. That same sort of kind of, um, spongy is not the right word, but it's a, a texture that is uh, the right amount of chewiness. So when you bite down, it resists for a minute and then it gives. And so she was able to, by marinating the mushrooms the right way and adding the right flavors, give it kind of a seafood flavor that had the same texture. And once again, you don't even know you're eating a bunch of dead critters. Uh, you're eating uh, nutrient infused mushrooms. <laughs> Dan, I like your friends. Speaking of your friends, talk to me about Andrew Zimmern from your friend from uh, Minneapolis. Yes, Andrew, he's best known, I think, for uh, bizarre foods going around the world and tasting weird things. Um, but he's a gifted chef. And, and, you know, in addition to eating things like grubs, he's very good at plant-based. And I, he's, you know, he's a big celebrity these days, but a good friend of mine from Minneapolis. And he, he agreed. Um, I, I asked him if he could plumb his uh, archive for his favorite plant-based foods and uh, he he came up with actually a korean recipe for us and uh, was not kind enough to take us into his kitchens and recreate it so you know the idea here was to uh bring from a diversity of sources uh, a, an american pastiche together of uh foods that mimic the diet of longevity from around the world from the famous to the non-famous to 
to the, you know, mostly these ethnicities, but also under-celebrated Americans. My dad even has a recipe in here. <laughs> I know. He's got a pasta sauce. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, if, and yeah. If, if, yeah. If you go to page 238, you can see Roger Butner doing his thing. Took our National Geographic photographer to his garden. Right, right there. Very proud of. There's, yeah, there's Rod right there. He's probably got a beer just off camera. <laughs> the drunken beans. <laughs> Dan, what about, tell me, what's your favorite restaurant in America? And according to the book here, you say it's in Los Angeles. It's called Jolina's. Yeah. Uh, I eat there every time I go there. You know, they're, they're not a, it's not a vegan restaurant. But the chef there, the, the, the chefs, um, the head chef is a guy named Juan. He's from Oaxaca, Mexico. And the entire kitchen staff are all from the same village. But they have a way of cooking vegetables. And it often involves a little bit of vinegar, but a way of charring and vinegar and the, and the symphony of sweetness, of a little bit of spice, of the right use of fats. Uh, the right uses of, of assets and they, they, they create the most delicious sides uh, they have a okra dish to die for. They have a, a mushroom pizza that has no cheese on it, but the way they do it, you, you, for those of you who eat, you know, cheese, you don't miss the cheese hundred percent plant-based. And, and, you know, I got no skin in the game with them. It just happens to be my favorite restaurant, but I do, um, I do owe them an enormous debt of gratitude in that they shared three of their best recipes uh, with us for this book and uh, spent an afternoon cooking them for us and letting us photograph. So uh, now I like them even more. Now, Dan, I know that, well, first I'll ask you this question and then I'll show you the, I'll sh share with everybody the recipe. So Dan, what is the number one supplement of people that eat a blue zone type diet? beans there you go baby it's the beans and so what's with this recipe beans and greens and beans you got it twice i love it <laughs> uh, if beans are good beans and beans are twice as good <laughs> for for people that don't know dan you got a really uh adorable instagram uh video talking about the number one supplement and then you go on to say it's beans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I do not believe other than vitamin B12 yeah. for vegans or people 100% plant-based, I don't believe in supplements. I think you can get, you know, there are some people with you know weird conditions and so forth. But for most Americans, you can get all the micronutrients you need out of your food. And that's the best way to get them because food's the best delivery vehicle. Uh, most of what is sold to us as, uh, supplements or superfoods or power drinks or um, it's it's junk. Uh, it's often uh, full of sugar, questionable ingredients. Uh, in my mind, the only superfood there is, well, the only superfoods there are are beans and greens. You know, maybe turmeric a little bit, uh, cruciferous vegetables, nuts. These are the things we know have fueled real people. Uh, into their hundreds around the world. And um, so don't be duped. And, and by the way, you, uh, you can be pretty sure if you're paying a lot for a food, somebody's got their hand in your pocket. Uh, <laughs> anybody who's checked the price of dried beans lately knows that any American can afford them. Pound yeah. of uh, black beans or black eyed peas or lentils will set you back less than $3 and they'll feed a half a dozen people a nutritious but the secret, and this is why, this is where the Blue Zones American Kitchen comes in. The most important ingredient is taste. Americans, as a rule, do not how to know how to make beans taste good. And uh, this work, I, I think, does a good job at bringing beans uh, alive and, and uh, really kind of overtaking their, their, their meat counterparts when it comes to protein and uh, making things taste flavorful yeah. and delicious. It really does. And Dan, just to like hammer home to everybody listening that when you eat, you know, whole food, plant strong, the blue zones way, you have one fifth the rate of heart disease, one sixth the rate of dementia. These are stats I'm pulling right from Dan's book. One sixth the rate of certain cancers. 
and diabetes and obesity rates, you said in the blue zone areas are un- were, were used to be until recently under 5%, which is crazy when you think that here in this country, according to the CDC, uh, we have what, 75% of us are now overweight or obese. Right. And probably more of us are suffering from a metabolic disease. And yeah. that is almost 100% attributable to eating the standard American diet. Um, that, that Our diet kills 680,000 Americans prematurely every year. Um, more, way more people have died eating the American way than have died in, in World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War combined. Uh, it needs more attention. Uh, we need to vote. Uh, we need to get rid of the incentives in the farm bill that incent us making uh, growing more of these uh, corn and soybeans, which are fed to animals in, in filthy feedlots. Uh, they're used as cheap inputs for all of our ultra-processed foods. The incentives need to be taken away from those the uh, foodstuffs of junk food and shift it to organic foods and more beans, quite frankly. And um, and then uh, you know it's it's uh, companies like uh, Plant Strong that take these foods and make them delicious and they make them accessible to the rest of us. Well, you know what we're 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 doing everything we can to do our part. I want to close on on this note, Dan, and and that is, I just think it is so remarkable and so fascinating and so creative that you were able to like look under the hood of this country and and find out that you know a hundred years ago we were doing things right, right across all these ethnicities we were doing things right in a major way, in a tasty way that. You know, if we could just go back to where we were, we could elevate the health of this country in ways that would make it this country's greatest asset. And, and, and you have uncovered that. You've laid it out there for us. And I just I can't say enough about the latest thing that you have brought to the world, Dan. And I love the way you finish, you finish it, Dan, with your dad. The fact that you were able to do this journey with your father. I think is a testament to the relationship that you have with, with him. And the fact that you were able to get your meat and potato loving dad to like basically go like blue zones now, that's remarkable. In our book, he's a vegan chef. So I, I don't think uh, anybody in his family would have ever believed that. Yeah. So it's called the Blue Zone American Kitchen. It's uh, on sale this week. Um, as you know, you're a book writer yourself, a, a very yeah. successful one, but uh, you know, you can labor writing the best book in the world, but unless you unless you talk about it um, and and you're given platforms like um, Plat Strong here, I thank you. Uh, but it's it's a great gift. Anybody who uh, you like to see longer, live longer, it's a great Christmas gift. It looks great on the coffee table or in your kitchen. There's a hundred recipes to live to a hundred. Uh, National Geographic. It's all evidence based, and uh, you know, support your local bookshop if you can. Um, and again, the photography is second to none. It truly is. David, oh my gosh. Um, Dan, I want to know when's the next time you and I are going to get together and play a little pickleball? I don't know. You kind of gave me such a drubbing uh, last time, Rip. I think I need a couple years of training, uh, eight hours a day to, to, to enter the ring with you again. Enter, well, But anytime. Maybe well, you'll come play with me and uh, – and, uh, <laughs> In Miami, or I'll see you again at uh, Sports Weekend there in Austin. Thanks. All right. Dan, great American, great American kitchen, blue zones. Way to be, my man. Hey. Thanks so much, Rip. You plan strong. Great Thanksgiving. (laughs) Bam. (laughs) All right. I love it. All right, you guys. Thank you. The Blue Zones American Kitchen is now available, and I bet it just might make a very thoughtful gift at many holiday parties this holiday season. I'll be sure to put a link uh, in the show notes in case anyone's interested. But as we as we close out today, I just want to say how grateful I am uh, and thankful for those who came before us and, and helped to shape America's healthiest food landscapes. Thanks so much for listening. And as always... Keep it plan strong. 
Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.